week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 187. I am coming to you from another new location, unlike Travis, who likes to move entire buildings for whenever he moves his studio. I like to just move rooms, um, but I'm coming to you live with the man, the myth, the Ken, no, the Barbie to my Ken, I'll say, because he's definitely <laughs> more the star than I am. Mr. Travis Croft, how are you? I am fine and dandy, and I think it's fair to say we are both Knuff. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just accept it and for what it is. Uh, nice to be back uh, on time is- this time, two week- on our two-weekly rotation. And yeah. We haven't had a cancellation and no one's ha- house has collapsed. Um, it's true. But- God hasn't so like stepped in and said, oh, excuse me, I actually planned the apocalypse for this week. Sorry. Um, Excuse me, um, but yeah, or, or um, it's so uncool. Who's these people who have extra rooms in their house to go and use for stuff? Um, <laughs> I, I shot it. I would like to point out our uh, perhaps unintentional or reluctant co-host for this week. Oh, over here, this thing's alive. Oh, it's not just a, a cushion. <laughs> not part of a chair. That is. Part of a cat who's a little bit annoyed, but I just bothered them, so How I'm gonna st- step dare. away now. If if um, Travis is not alive next episode, you know what happened, ladies and gentlemen. He paid this, the price. This is Gatita, uh, our household over- overlord, um, aka <laughs> cat. Um, and I am getting a greaser right now. How dare I disturb her sleep? You bitch, you bitch, sir, you bitch. We best just keep moving before I incur her wrath entirely and say, "Absolutely, yeah." And we did a mixed bag this week. Show, yeah, we've got quite a uh, a popcorn rainbow movie show for you. We have got our chain movie of the week, following on from last um, last times, bringing out the dead. Very dour, very down. Martin Scorsese, Nicolas Cage movie. We followed John Goodman on to the two thousand and eight. Wachowski siblings um, love letter to Speed Racer, Speed Racer, which is um, I remember when that first came out. It was one of the first movies I think that uh, kind of came out with in sixty frames a second because of the bright, vibrant color and things like that. Um, we have got our thoughts on the f- first half of Barbenheimer, Barbie. And we are going to be talking about this time so many years ago, we rolled and we landed on the Dan Aykroyd starring Coneheads. Not to mention, we've got a little bit of binge browse and burn. And if we have time, if we're not going to run too long, which invariably we are, we may very well talk about the end of existing IP. Did promise that last time. Yeah, we know what we can, but should we just keep moving while you're talking? You gave us a heads up there. I yeah. picked it. I'm responsible. Should we talk about Speed Racer? Someone has to do it. Why not us? Go Speed Racer. So this is the 2008, as you mentioned, Wachowski sibling. So interestingly, this is the last film where they are credited as the Wachowski brothers. Yes. Um, Young driver Speed Racer aspires to be champion of a racing world for help with his family and his high-tech Mach 5 automobile. Uh Based on the... Is it an anime? I don't know. Japanese cartoon. I think um, it. Uh, I think it started off as a manga, and then it became a very, very popular anime. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely. Um, this is this is one of those kind of 
earlier adaptations of a Japanese property that Hollywood tried to westernize, I think, really. Uh, well, yes, uh, they haven't done it terribly successfully since then. Uh, <laughs> do not mention uh, Ghost in the Shell. And do uh, not Death Note. <laughs> I, I didn't even see that one, um, so mm. I, I, that sounds like a good thing. Um, so, I did you ever watch the cartoon? No, I never. Ne it never kind of crossed my path. I think it was on TV here, and it's, it's interesting that we grew up on such a, I don't know about you in the UK, but in Australia, we grew up on a steady diet of westernized Japanese cartoons, you know, uh, uh, Battle, in the, Battle, of the, Battle on the Planets, uh, hey, you 31, and um, I think I, it was a show called Silver Hawks, it used to be on TV, oh, when I was a kid, I fucking yeah. loved Silver Hawks, uh, the Lost Cities, the Cities of Gold, which was yeah. a Japanese-French cartoon. There was a lot of that kind of thing on TV. Um, yeah, and yeah. Sp Speed Racer was one of them. I was never a massive fan of Speed Racer, but I do vaguely remember a cartoon. But mm. the Wachowskis, they not only remember this cartoon, they fucking adore this cartoon. Mm. Now, this is the first thing they released. Uh, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is their first release after the uh, Matrix trilogy. Mm -hmm. When you could rightly expect they could have written their own ticket to mm -hmm. anything they wanted to do in Hollywood after those. Even though there was two uh, parts two and three were certainly no match for the first. Um, I, I suspect without looking, they did enough business to keep them well and truly in the good books of Hollywood. This is oh. what they decided to do with their, their newfound clout was to get this made. And honestly, I don't know that it would have got made without that kind of clout because mm -hmm. it's a really unusual film. Oh yeah. Um, uh -huh. All the way while I was so that's, that's your synopsis. Young driver, speed racer, aspires to be part of a racing world to help with his family. So the speed racer is played by Emil Hirsch. His name is Speed Racer, which yep. is possibly, uh, and I forgot that about this um, sh show or whatever. And I'm like, that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. His name's Speed Racer. Um, <laughs> his family, uh, his dad is his mechanic, I guess, the guy who built yep. his car, uh -huh. played by uh, John Goodman. Mm -hmm. uh, his um, brother, I'm looking for his brother here. Um, I can't see who actually plays oh, his brother. Uh uh, the the, uh, the the young one, you mean? The, yeah. with, the, with the monkey, Chim Chim? Um, yeah, what is right. his name? Australian actor Kick Gurry plays not a member of a family, part of, I guess, a, v, a family racing team. His girlfriend is played by Christina Ricci as uh, mm. Trixie. Yeah. Um, uh, and he's ally, sometimes ally. Uh, right. Racer X played by Matthew Fox. One of the few really good turns of acting in this film is the bad guy like the bad guy in this absolutely chews the scenery in every single scene that they are in and it's um what's the name? alarm uh what's his name here roger alarm played mm. royalton who is i think the, the principal bad guy of the film um yeah. and he is the owner of a large corporate conglomerate racing team who tries yeah. to recruit speed but upon being knocked back uh, basically makes it his point to makes it his, his mission to uh, take down and just destroy Speed Racer, which you know uh, by bankrupting his family and getting him kicked out of the the World Racing League or whatever it's called. <laughs> and which uh, 
let's just talk about that as the the real crux of the of the incident here it's not because you know he doesn't turn on speed racer because speed is gonna um expose the corrupt nature of royalty and industries or anything like that it's just because he said no yeah spite that this guy just goes okay i'm going to literally destroy your world I think Roger Alarm is one of the few people who realizes what kind of film he's in. Yeah. And I suspect the other person he does is John Goodman. Yeah. Not sure about the rest of them. Um, you said this last time, and uh, I think you really nailed it. Uh, you compared this to uh, Ang Lee's Hulk film, which mm-hmm. was trying very hard to go. He's kind of gone, what would a comic book look like if we turn that into a film with the frames and the, the shading mm-hmm. and the little clips and the transition from scene to scene, which was interesting but didn't really quite work and i wonder if they did it seven or eight years later after iron man you know maybe but also it just wasn't a good film but you can see what they were trying to do and you've gone that's interesting and Mm. it's a really this is basically a live action cartoon oh yeah with the the amount of editing work on this my goodness all of the kind of spinning heads as they're going from one side to the other that's very anime the blurring of all the color as they're racing every single thing is just they've they've just gone okay what does it look like on the page what does it look like in the comics let's just do that and that is a very deliberate choice by the filmmakers it's not we want to say a cost again this is the Wachowskis. This is post uh, Matrix. I think they got the budget they asked for. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would have, well, something pretty close to what I would imagine because, I mean, you know, uh, this has got a $120 million budget in 2008. So um, that's a pretty decent sort of um, budget for the time. But that, yeah. Um, uh, so the, the fact that they use green screens for the 90% of a film, not a hundred percent of a film. Yep. It does give it that really artificial look. Mm-hmm. But again, I sure that that's actually a deliberate choice. Now coming back to Roger Alarm, mm. I think he realizes he's doing a, a live action cartoon. Um, so yeah. just to give you some context, just to come back to a second. Um, the incredible Hulk came out in 2008 mm-hmm. and had a $150 million production budget. So mm-hmm. this is, you know uh up there with a major studio release like that so mm-hmm. they did the the blue the green screen stuff deliberately to make it look like that flat look like a cartoon the mm-hmm. incredibly oversaturated colors the ridiculous nature of the action yeah it's it's a live action cartoon but i feel like emil hirsch and so many other people think they're in like a real movie and they're acting their asses off and i'm like yeah no. it's like roger alarm gets it he's like i'll get you gadget next time gadgets you know like exactly he is the mustachio twirling stereotypical 70s and 80s bad guy ripped out of those comics and cartoons and just put into a live action movie and it would it would be like someone going full mark hamill joker in live action it's it's that level of energy and mania and then suddenly you've got the dourness of Emil Hirsch is like, ah, oh, nothing else makes sense except when I'm behind the wheel of a T-180. It's just, it's like, oh, dude, come on. <laughs> I mean, that said, though, from what I recall about the cartoon, that was Speed's character. So maybe maybe that was the, the point. But uh, so many of the others just seem to 
play it with a straight bat where yeah. i mean I, I felt like john goodman was doing it as well i loved john goodman's pops in his film mm. um he again was really hamming it up and look mm. like they were enjoying themselves like as he sort of said in, in mustachio twirling bad guy and sort of mm. him as the dad character which is such a typical dad character in japanese animation oh, um yeah. oh yeah so some of it works in that sense like roger alarm is the way over the top bad guy and his facial his facial expressions his sneer of anger i'm like oh i love every minute he's on screen he's so bad i want to see him get taken down so badly and that's perfect i felt also like the racing sequences kind of worked i mean again if you take yourself back for a second realize you're watching a cartoon that just happens to have been done live action um which is weird but the racing scenes I felt were some of the stronger points, especially the cross-country race scene where Speed mm. has to win the cross-country race in order to qualify for the big Grand Prix race at the end. Yeah. Um, the the problem maybe there is it's a little bit too much of a good thing. I thought they maybe spent too much time on some of the racing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see why considering it was – so. In, I felt it was reasonably strong. What did you think yeah. of the race scenes? I think the race scenes were great and I think they really captured like a lot of people um, think about Star Wars episode one and the pod racing sequences is like, okay, there were tiny elements of one lap that they did. And then they just replayed footage of that for the next two laps. There was elements of that, but this was exciting and fun. If you just remember, this is a completely unrealistic world with cars built the same that they're made in france if you look at john wick for example they're very bouncy um and this is a movie for kids let's just be very very clear on that from every everything from the color to um speed's younger brother and chim chim their antic yeah. all of that stuff it is this is the wachowski's doing a kids movie for the first time and the the race sequences of that are exhilarating for a kid because you're never more than three seconds from something insane going whether they're going to flip or do something and an absurd kind of Ruth Goldberg machine thing is going to fire out from someone trying to get speed and he gets out of the way and it's ah! it's kinetic frenetic energy that just works because of the way that it's shot the beauty color and it feels like they're going bloody fast too. But then that is the Achilles heel of it as well, because as soon as it get to sequences out of the cars, it's like, it, it crawl, it just goes to a crawl and the yeah. character scenes don't work because why would they? They're, they're two dimensional cartoon characters and we don't care yeah. about really anybody. Rather than probably Speed Racer, if you're again, a, a mm. kid. And it, you, you, again, that's a good point. This is a kid's film. It just doesn't look like it was marketed as a kid's film. Uh-uh. I mean, you've got two of the Wachowskis who directed some of the most cerebral action films ever made for their, well, probably still. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the concepts of and the philosophy of the Matrix films, especially parts two and three, uh-huh. uh, are incredibly um, impenetrable in parts and, but worthy of multiple viewings to try and understand them. Uh, Michelle will tell you the second one's her favorite of the Matrix films. And the storytelling concepts included are uh, fascinating to, to her and a lot of people. But mm. to, to then transition from that to a live action kids cartoon, 
Um, whiplash. <laughs> it's, it's fine to do it, I guess, in a way. When you, uh, we're going to talk about Greta Gerwig in a minute. Like mm-hmm. you look at Little Women four years ago, Little Women to Barbie, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But I guess they just didn't market it that way for for this film. You know, I guess we were expecting something uh, with a little bit more subtext. Also, it's yeah. two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's too long, which is should be our tagline. <laughs> but honestly, you talked about it and um, you hypothesized before um, when you picked this movie. You so like we look back at the other movies that Bukowski's is done, have done and how so much of it is kind of subcontext of their um, their own journeys and their own struggles with um, going through trans, uh, transgendering and things like that. Um, you said, oh, I wonder if there's anything here. Nope. No. is isn't bad. No, there's, there, there's nothing here. It, it, that's it. It is, it is vapid for anything else. So when you have the Wachowskis on there coming off of, as you say, three of the most make-you-think action movies of the last 15, 20 years, you suddenly go, wait, what? What you want me to just sit back and watch it and then ent- be entertained rather than actually come out of it going, hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's it, no, it's no subtext here at all. I'm sorry about that. And yeah. I feel like I should apologize. <laughs> there's nothing going on under the surface of this film, <laughs> other than the fact that those filmmakers obviously deeply, deeply love this, the, the source material and burned a lot of their clout in Hollywood to make this film. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, the runtime is unforgivable. Yes, unforgivable for a, for a story as thin as this to squeeze to try and stretch it to two hours and fifteen minutes is outrageous. And again, that speaks probably to the kind of clout the filmmakers had in Hollywood at the time. Mm. Who was going to tell the Wachowskis cut half an hour out of your Speed Racer film after what they just delivered? Eggs. Obviously, no one. So um, yep. it's for a kids' film. It had to be what ninety, a hundred minutes max. Yeah, um, and that's half an hour less than this, and I just uh, I don't know what they were thinking. So this is when I come back again to the idea that they were spending perhaps a little too long mm. on um, uh, on their uh, race scenes, even awesome. though they were good. Mm. And I enjoyed enjoyed the strong word. I enjoyed parts of them. Mm. Um, they just spent so long on them. Mm-hmm. It, it just got to be a beyond a joke, and it ended up casting the film. At the end, and I would just like to so, because you concentrate on some of the negatives besides the annoying, inordinately long runtime. Um, you mentioned Chim Chim. What the actual fuck was I was like 10 minutes in the film? I'm like, oh my god, there's a monkey in this film. What the hell are these filmmakers oh. doing? What yeah. the hell? I mean, uh, who fought a monkey? When was the last time a monkey being in the film was a good sign? I challenge anyone to give me a, a give me a, other than probably the, the planet of the apes films mighty joe young don't know if i ever saw that one but yeah if it's about a monkey then you know it, it's maybe. about a gorilla <laughs> maybe that's the difference um, um so i don't know i i would give that a big negative a big red cross no it was a monkey yeah and really what did the monkey add to the film that was of any value not much. I mean, no. as you sort of said, the kids were maybe amused by the, the antics of a monkey and Speed's brother, who I still can't actually find. I don't know what his uh, character or something. Um, I can't remember what his character's I, name was, actually. I, I found it before. Uh, Spritel, uh actor, is Paulie Lit. Paulie Lit. 
Okay. Well, sorry, Paulie, if you're, if you're watching. <laughs> but I'm... Um, hasn't done anything since 2017 when he started Sex Guaranteed. I don't know. Who would have thought a film called Sex Guaranteed would be a bad career move? I wouldn't have. Um, <laughs> um, so the monkey was a negative. The, yeah. the oversaturation of colours was distracting. It kind of gave me a headache. Uh, mm. So, well, it worked in parts. It didn't work in others. And I did kind of give it the green screens are positive and a negative for me. It looks so flat mm. and fake all the way through the film. I mean, remember, um, what was it Jude Law from Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? Oh, I think, oh, yeah, 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 it came out about the same time of I, I think. And again, that, that whole idea that you could make a, an entire film in a studio in front of the green screen was fashionable there for a few years, but I think I'd this is yet another example of where it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I guess, like I said, I think it's a deliberate choice by the filmmakers. Yeah. So I'm not, so, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. No. <laughs> where it works at a racing scenes for somehow, like the racing scenes seems really kinetic and action filled and moderately entertaining. Anything aside from those, it just drags the film down a long, long way. For, for me, I feel like this movie is kind of ahead of its time um and if if they had waited like 15 years got it like to this this decade i think we may have seen a slightly different kind of movie i feel like they may have done it more as all right you know what he's not going to win the grand prix in this movie it's going to be the uh the uh the so like the cross-country rally they're talking about how that goes through three different, so like a uh, hemisphere, uh, so two different hemispheres and three different kind of uh, landscapes of frozen and desert and all of that sort of stuff. They, I feel like nowadays they would probably start from at the start of that race and the movie would end at the end of that race with him winning and pepper through some of the backstory and elements throughout it to keep it a little bit of that element of a chase movie effectively. And I think that the animation would have come into it a lot more and it could very well have been a very hyper stylized rotoscoping kind of a combination of scanner darkly and spider-man into the spider-verse where they have that vibrant visual look but still with that level of slight level of realism and actor in it i can imagine that being something that they would try to do instead but even then i still don't know if it would work um it was a stretch i mean again if you if you just focused on what this was as a kid's film yeah. um better special effects would have worked a mm -hmm. director of a sense of moderation and keeping it under an hour 40 would have worked mm -hmm. um realizing that you can't what i always find interesting about wakowski's was and that's sorry it's a side thing that never happens on this show <gasps> uh, i i remember when the matrix came out that changed everything Mm -hmm. the kind of film it changed everything i think people if you're young enough to not be around when that came out you don't realize how revolutionary that film was mm -hmm. in the sense that i feel like maybe a six months to a year later mission impossible 2 came out um and so. maybe it was a little later but not too long afterwards mission impossible 2 came out after the um the matrix the first matrix film came out um and mission impossible 2 yeah um so a couple of years a couple of years um maybe 18 months or so but like i remember going seeing that at the cinema and people forget that's like the, the mission impossible film we don't talk about anymore because it's really i think the worst one 
Yeah. Um, and I remember it was the kind of film where, again, it was shot in Australia and Tom Cruise is riding around in a motorcycle and shooting at cars and it just exploded when he would shoot them, you know? And, like, you remember you going, oh, so boring. This is such an 80s-style action film. John, What John Woo and I guess the producers hadn't realised was that when they were shooting it, I guess, was when The Matrix came out, that that changed the game. Those stupid, dumb things that happened in action films in the 80s just didn't make sense anymore for a, for a while and now they've sort of come back yeah um but you know for five minutes there you're like yeah i'm sorry i'm so bored of this lame 80s style action it just changed everything mm-hmm. whereas if, if that film hadn't existed that kind of action maybe wouldn't have seemed quite as cliched mm. uh, as it, it just changed the game whereas mm. this film doesn't seem to have realized that pixar's happened in the meantime Mm-hmm. And that's changed the game as well when it comes to kids' films. Kids' mm-hmm. films that are just for kids and have nothing under the surface and they're completely dull for adults is gone. It's dead by 2008. We've got mm. two, at least two pit Toy Story films, maybe three. Yeah. I don't know. Toy Story 3 hadn't come out by 2008, but we had uh, Up, I suspect, by then, and Wally had definitely come out about that time as well. Um, so. If you're gonna make it uh, hadn't come out yet. Um Wally came out in two thousand eight, I think. Yes. Yeah, two thousand eight. So if I mean you're gonna make a kiss straight ahead kids film, which A is two hours and fifteen minutes long, but has absolutely nothing to anyone who's not ten years old. Mm-hmm. I think you're on a hiding to nothing, unfortunately. Um I feel like I owe you an apology. This was a very difficult watch in parts um while i enjoyed some elements of it it was it was just too much of overloading color and too much ridiculousness to huh? work and i kind of wonder maybe it was, would have been better if they just made an animated film i feel like it probably would have but at the same time i think that um 2008 there was still some element of reticence about making a just a fully animated movie that doesn't have maybe in america speed racer isn't as big as studios want it to be and the idea of it um you know when you make a a kids movie instantly everyone in that boardroom is suddenly going okay how do we make mcdonald's toys out of this yes and okay is there enough cachet in america for speed racer kids kids stuff when you walk maybe into the, 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 the thing that's changed here is something like the uh, into the spider-verse um yeah. but again spider spider-man has quite a bit of cachet um yeah. but that speed racer doesn't interestingly the news i don't know if you noticed jj abrams is rebooting speed racer for apple tv um uh, it was reported uh, in July, actually. So I, I would like to say that's why I chose the film, but I did not know that until I looked into it a little deeper. But um, uh, apparently One Piece has also been adapted into live action, which I have heard of. Yes, it um, is uh, coming out on Netflix relatively soon. Uh, I would be very curious to see what J.J. Abrams does mm. um, with it. Um, but don't hold out lie hopes. Hold out. Hold out high hopes for anything Abrams is involved in. Um, but also, I mean, if you look at something like Cowboy Bebop, which came out on Netflix a year or two ago. Um, yeah. That didn't go well. 
Hmm. So um, we will wait and see. But I, unless you have anything else with a speed racer, I'll apologize again and <laughs> hand the keys over. I, 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 I said don't apologize because um, you don't know where, where we're going yet. Um, we are going oh to watch my guilty pleasure movies. And this is one that I haven't seen in a while. And the pure reason why I'm going back to it is I'm curious to see if it is still one of my guilty pleasure movies or if I think that it's kind of trash like most people when it first came out. But on the plus side for you, there are tons of avenues to get out of this movie as well. Literally too many to choose from. We are going to be following Matthew Fox, Racer X. We are going to be going to 2006, Smoking Aces, Yes. Ah, I'm not sure I ever saw that. Ah, when a Las Vegas performer turned snitch named Buddy Israel decides to turn state's evidence and testify against the mob, it seems that a whole lot of people would like to make sure he's no longer breathing. This has got Jeremy Piven, Ryan Reynolds, Ray Liotta. Um, who have we got? We've got Ben Affleck. We've got Peter Berg. We've got Martin Henderson. We've got Common. We've got Andy Garcia. We have got Alicia Keys. Um, uh, Taraji Henson, Nesta Carbonella, Chris Pine, Kevin Durant. Um, we have got Tommy Flanagan. Uh, Joel Edgerton's in there. I didn't realize he was in there. Jason Bateman. Um, Matthew Fox is, is our connected tissue. And it is directed by Joe, Joe Carnahan. Yeah. He of um, films like The A-Team and uh, other films that he was involved in. Well, he kind of got quite quite popular. His his big breakout, I think, was Narc back in 2002. I don't even remember. He produced The Grey, which you and I went to the movies to see once upon a time. Yeah. Um, oh, I think we, was... one, of the, one of the few times I've walked into a cinema with absolutely zero idea about what the film was about mm -hmm. and was disappointed nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was that good. A mess of a movie, but... Um, yeah, anyway, so this is go into this not thinking for any kind of like, oh, highbrow action entertainment. This is dumb fucking action. Pure, bullsore, dumb fucking action. And we'll see where we go from there. <laughs> Ex excellent. That's good. So, so, so we're getting some, bring it, might have to, we had the intellectual level with um, bringing out the dead. And now we've uh, gone, taking it back down to the gutter. Where we belong, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we know our place. Um, that smoke and aces. From it... one um, rainbow bright movie to another. Please, let's do. So we will slide on sideways into Barbie land yep. on our rollerblades. Um, to be to that, the box office juggernaut um, currently ramped the 800-pound gorilla Rampaging through box offices everywhere in the world, except for South Korea, apparently. Yep. Um, Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Now, if can you we haven't talk about the absurdity of this first and foremost. A Barbie movie is doing these ridiculous numbers, and it's not. It's not just sort of like, oh, this is a flash in the pan kind of thing. It's not for one demographic. This is across the board. Everyone seems to bloody love this movie. 
Uh, not everyone, but a lot of people do. Um, oh. The conservative right in the United States have found it quite objectionable. Um, so there's that. And, you know, I would generally take that as a good sign. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a guy doing something on um, uh, these uh, movie posters mm. um, on Twitter for Barbie that included some of the comments he found on Letterboxd um oh. from furious men um and like uh why are so badly respected uh, showcased in this movie <laughs> um barbie an alienating dangerous and perverse film barbie <laughs> the feminist agenda will kill us all barbie they won't be happy until we are all gay barbie a pink acid trip that feels like being slapped by lots of confusingly attractive people uh, and I'm like, that is awesome. So but there are a lot of angry men out there who didn't like it. Good. I am wearing a Barbie T-shirt. So I guess, spoiler alert, um, what did you think of it, though? I went to go and see this with Lucy, who's 11 years old. We both loved it. Both very obvious, very different age brackets, demographs. We both found it hugely entertaining. And for very different reasons, like I was just restraining myself so much when the Kens were arguing about having a beach off. I'll beat you off right now. <laughs> it was so beautiful. And Lucy was sitting next to me, just kind of looking at me. So like, I know this is an adult joke, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yep, you'll get it in a few years. Don't worry. <laughs> But, I think what you just said is the absolute genius of what um, Greta Gerwig has achieved here. Um, exactly. This, this, this is, is that we've talked about so frequently. This is, I think, I, I've actually made the call, but I think this might be the matrix of our time in a way. Now, please let me qualify that. Okay. Um, <laughs> It's obviously a very, very different kind of film to Matrix. This is what all action movies will look like going forwards. You wait so, for clones coming out next time. I kind of I tried to try to explain it a minute ago, and I probably did it badly as I usually do. So the Matrix changed the game mm -hmm. when it came to action films, which there were a lot of in the nineties. Oh yeah, you know, I would go to the, the, the cinema with my friends every couple of weeks and see a new film with Stallone, Van Damme you know schwarzenegger bruce willis you know whoever right uh, harrison ford uh, action films were probably in a way more common then than they were now um barbie might do that for ip driven films i think in a way that the matrix did that for uh or at least it was people tried to copy what the matrix did in, in action films moving forward the shit you could get away with like i said about mission impossible 2 just didn't make sense anymore after the matrix had just proven mm. that the, the matrix has pointed out and said 80s action films have no clothes it's, it's a it's a mixed metaphor i get it <laughs> so this is absolute genius this film is an absolute genius piece of film in the sense that you can take an 11 year old who loves i don't know if lucy loves barbie no maybe she, but she's probably familiar with the brand and the toys and lucy can enjoy it uh, mm -hmm. uh, on a level of it's bright it's colorful it's a songs in it it's mm -hmm. fun yeah. you and i can see it and i can see it with michelle we saw barbenheimer so just to be clear you get the second half of barbenheimer next week we're not made of time we'll do we'll do um part two later 
we we saw Bob the Bob and Hobbit. We did the Bob and Hobbit double uh, a couple of weeks ago when it came out, mm. um, and we were part of a packed cinema, including a number of people who were very well dressed in pink. And funnily enough, this time I wasn't one of them. Um, <laughs> and, but we could sit there and like, so Michelle is one of the most intelligent, sophisticated viewers of film that I know in the sense that, you know, she'll break down a story into its tiny parts in five minutes and she'll see right through it if it's giving her bullshit. But um, we were both, we're not only were we both laughing our asses off at multiple parts of his bloody, I'll beat you off off right now. Um, to <laughs> You know, the part where someone calls Barbie a fascist and she cries, but I don't control the railways and the flow of commerce. Um, <laughs> and they tell me, I guarantee you, Lucy didn't get that gag. Um, but also buried beneath that really beautifully, not far beneath the surface, mm. but deep enough and skillful enough that it's not putting off the kids. It's a story about feminism. It's a deeply feminist film. Mm. And it's and it's quite upfront going, the patriarchy is the bad guy. Yep. Um and, and obviously, I mean, I doubt Lucy knows what the patriarchy is, Mm-mm. but that doesn't seem to have bothered her. Nope. Nope. This is I, I, I said just before that uh, this this gets is the Pixar. This is almost the, the reverse Pixar effect effect where it's realistically, this is an adult movie dressed as a kid's movie. And where we've said that you can go to a Pixar movie and it's, its primary audience is that younger audience, but they've always got those jokes in there for the adult, for, for the family and things like that. This is the reverse where it's ridiculous. This looks so, so much like a better shot version of the Aqua Barbie song music video. And it shouldn't look good. But it looks fantastic. This is a story about a plastic character. It shouldn't be this deep, but it is. And not only is it mining these deep, very, very pertinent social questions and commentaries, it's doing it in such a fantastic way that Lucy on the way home was going, so is the patriarchy really that bad? And what is the patriarchy really? Because it's not about... She got that's that's unbelievable. That's that's the baddest advertisement I could possibly hear for this film. Is that an eleven year old is asking those questions, and that again underlies, I think, the genius of this script. Which I think, look, I haven't seen uh, everything that's going to happen, but I, I would think should be absolutely nominated for best. There's apparently a question whether it's best adapted screenplay or best original screenplay. Um, I will leave that up to um, Mattel and Warner Brothers and the, the um, Academy, but mm-hmm. it should be in the conversation for best screenplay. And I was talking, I had dinner with a friend of mine last night, and I was telling him how much it was, how how good it was, and she just couldn't believe me that a Barbie film was that good. I'm like, it is that good. But it should be in the conversation for best original screenplay, and I think it's amazing that. It's actually prompted uh, a young girl to actually ask what the patriarchy is and understand whether or not it's um, a good thing, a bad thing, or is it being blown up beyond, you know, uh, into something it's not. And I think it's actually a pretty realistic conversation starter about the patriarchy. I'm sorry if you think we're raving lefties. Deal with it. We always have been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, you know, what, what I think is, in fact, just takes us to another level of genius for me um, is – at the end, a lot of we've had conversations about this, and I've been accused of being uh, a misogynist uh, by various people for saying this. Is that 
I feel like a lot of what Hollywood does in the feminist space or trying to be diverse mm. is window dressing. Mm. And I guess the argument there is it's window dressing in of itself, even if it is window dressing, is it still worth doing because this that representation in the past has been so bad? And I'll, that's another conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you look at and I'm gonna go back to it, I'm sorry everyone, but Ghostbusters 2016. Captain Marvel, a couple of my hobby horses, uh -huh. or Wonder Woman eighty four. We're going to be we're going to be feminist by making every man in the film insufferably awful and stupid. Uh -huh. And I'm like, okay, that's one way you could go about it. And look, I don't care at the end of the day a whole lot about it. Wonder Woman was going to do was going to be just as bad without that. Um, uh -huh. But that's I think a very very lazy way of going about it. So I can't be bothered actually investing energy or creativity or talent into making a, a truly interesting story about this so i'll just go the lazy route making you know we have a cast of female characters or a female character like wonder woman who's wonderful and they're amazing at everything she does and all the men are horrible yeah lazy for me uh and and i think it puts off a lot of people who maybe would come to the party and you know maybe i'm one of them like um but they would put people off and it really plays into the hands of people who go, go work, go work. Um, mm. it's, the, it's the simple thing of there is like the, the perpetual argument at the moment of, oh, could they gender swap James Bond? Like, yes, they absolutely could. And I would be absolutely down for that if they actually made the fact yeah. that James Bond or Jane Bond or whatever they wanted to rebrand it for the female character or maybe even go non-gendered perhaps but actually bring that into the story and make that part of the compelling reason to do it not just because you want to be able to tick a box and so like oh we've been able to we changed um doctor who's gender to a woman now we're going to do it to everything else like, no, make it actually a part of the compelling story because that would be a compelling story and I know we're going off track here a little bit, but I want to sort of bring it back here and go, but they didn't do this in Barbie. No. Yes. The Kens are dumb yes. and, and kind of ignorant. And the whole point where that Ken, uh, so spoilers, if you haven't seen it yet, so I'll give you a couple of seconds to keep moving because we haven't spoiled it yet. But, um, uh, you know, Ken, when he comes back to Barbie land and implements the patriarchy mm. um, with all the other Kens, he's kind of pretty dumb. Like and and you know moronic uh, and the and the corporate Mattel people, which are one of the few negative points of a film. I'll come back to that, but they are pretty dumb and and you know all male as well. But what really ties it up in the bow nicely for me is the scene at the end where uh, Barbies have taken back Barbie Land, and Ken's like, um, well, you know, but I've always it's always been Barbie and Ken, not just Ken. And there's actually a really beautiful scene, and I can't believe I'm saying it about the Barbie film, a beautiful scene between Barbie and Ken where Barbie actually very empathetically has a conversation with him about finding out who Ken is without Barbie. And for he, the relationship between Ken and Barbie does not define who Ken is. Uh -huh. And that leads to what I think is the, the scene where he has, I am Kenuff. And, and I, yes, before anybody asks, I do have an I am Kenuff shirt. Uh, already um but it's <laughs> what i liked about that scene particularly was it wasn't just a i think a lazier filmmaker just would have ended with barbie giving the can to backhand here and going uh, yeah, a one line going well blah, blah 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 and you know we're back in control and you know men are stupid uh you're <laughs> stupid and made him you know, it made him look dumb and he walks away with his 
tail between his legs. And a lot of people would have felt like that was a fitting outcome considering what they did. But they hmm. didn't. They didn't do that. They actually brought it back around to go, the patriarchy harms men too. Mm-hmm. It harms men by telling men, you are not enough. You'll never be enough. And if you don't have a gorgeous woman on your arm by what the patriarchy defines is a woman worthy of your attention, which, but again, does harm women <laughs> again, but it, it it is harming you as a man to go, you have to define yourself by your relationship. Um, and I, I don't think it harms women. I'm not saying you're saying it's men of a real victims or anything stupid like that. No. But the system of patriarchy where we have at the moment hurts everyone. Mm-hmm. And to a lesser degree, men are one of those victims. And it's beautiful and amazing that this film acknowledged that in such a skillful way. And, and I just sort of walked out feeling uplifted at the end of this film. Absolutely agree. I genuinely, every element of this movie, except, and I, when you mentioned about the Mattel executives, again, totally agree. That's the one slightly bum note in an otherwise phenomenal movie. Even going away from the main plot for Barbie and going to, um, the uh the mum and daughter um america ferrera uh is the mum uh yeah america ferrera and uh sasha uh ariana greenblatt their relationship and the conversation that they have throughout the movie beautiful wonderful honest and it was it, it was such a breath of fresh air in this in a movie that has absolutely no right or rhyme or reason to be as nuanced and as intellectual as it presents itself. This I'm, I'm looking at a picture of Barbie and Ken in their car and Ken just holding up his thing saying, I never go anywhere without the rollerblades. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd. And yet what we have used that to deliver such a wonderful message across everything and even having the you know um kate mckinnon is generally pretty good whenever she's in anything and having her as unusual barbie or whatever they um, weird barbie yeah weird barbie and kind of just the story and the explanation for her her version of barbie it's great and it's like it kind of pulls in a little bit of the end of Toy Story 3 with the, the passing on of the toys to the new kid and things like that and how they, they have this ongoing life beyond the, the player. It was, it was brilliant. And even the narration. It's... The narration by Helen Reeram and her talking. that There's the scene where it's about emotional, um, sort of like the, the uh, visualisation of beauty and things. And they, they literally call it out and say say maybe they shouldn't have cast someone like Margot Robbie in this role for this movie. Uh, uh, if we step aside from the politics for a minute, the jokes land. Yes. Probably 90% of the time. Like I laugh more at this film and I can remember laughing at a film since maybe Ted. And that was about 10, 15 years ago, Ted, I reckon. Okay. Um, uh, and that fairness, I, I put my hand up before when it comes to comedy, I'm maybe not a great measure. But like the scene where he's like, maybe you'll come by later and I'll play my guitar at you. Um, and all the uh, the Kens are playing the same It's Push by Maxbox 20. And I just lost it in the cinema at that moment. It was so fucking funny. Like, ah, uh, 
it's Greta Gerwig is a genius. She's an absolute genius. She and Noah Baumbach deserve a massive, massive rap for this. And like, it was a story kicking around a week before it released where Margot Robbie got the rights to it by telling Mattel this could be a billion-dollar film. But ha ha! Well, I guess I was just you know talking it up. <laughs> now I think it's made seven hundred odd million dollars in the first couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, this pro- isn't going to stop for a while. This is, and I think, um, this is going to go on to make a couple and uh, make over a billion. Uh, what I find fascinating about the film uh, is that the I hinted at earlier the um, American conservatives in particular have lost their shit about it, going, "Oh my god, it's not a kids' film! It's not a kids' film! It's not a kids' film!" And I'm like. Did you see the trailer where they had Margot, the 2001 A Space Odyssey trailer where Margot Robbie is the, the monolith and the little girls around here with the dolls? And I'm like, who, who saw a, a trailer referencing 2001 A Space Odyssey and thought, hmm, my kids would enjoy a film full of 2001 A Space Odyssey references? It's a 60-year-old film, but they'll get it, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> I remember when that trailer came out, you and I both watched it and we went, I have no idea what this movie is uh, going to be, but I'm in. And that film's in the, the scenes in the film at the start. Yeah. Um, and I just like, did you guys not see any of the trailers or any of the material about the film before it came out? If that, look, because if, if a film about feminism was going to bother you, then those trailers would have told you that's what this film was. Um, mm-hmm. But... Well, I, yeah, they've already apparently greenlight a sequel, which is not surprising. Apparently huh. Margot Robbie's involved. Apparently Greta is less, invo- less keen to be involved. I would mm. less, I would wonder if you could catch lightning in the bottle like this twice, but, and Mattel's going to go on and make their cinematic universe with like a, uh, uh, a Barney film and a Polly Pocket film, which apparently is being directed by Lena Dunham. Um, okay. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. I want Brian Gosling to get an Oscar. I want this to get best original song for "I'm Just Ken" because um, it's an absolute banger. Um, and you know, I don't think I've ever left the cinema. I, I haven't left the cinema in such a long time, and thought maybe Endgame, mm. maybe further back, maybe The Avengers was the last time I went out of a cinema and said, "I need to see that again." Mm. I. Before we start talking about uh, our negative, I also want to do a special call out to Alan. Alan. Michael Sarah. He, 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 like, like we talked about it in Speed Racer with um, those two actors knowing what part, uh, not what part they are in what movie they're in. Michael Sarah really nailed the role of Alan. <laughs> it was a perfect role. And that yeah. highlights another positive, just aside from Michael Sarah's performance, they went deep. Like they, they had access to the Barbie archives, and I'm like, I am not an aficionado of Barbie lore. Mm-mm. But, like, they've gone in, they've picked out some super obscure, like, people. Have, I've met people going, oh, I had a Skipper doll, and I had a Midge doll, and, oh, my mum had the Alan doll or something, and you're like, Wow, they went deep into the um, the, uh, the the uh, the the back catalog of um, Mattel characters, but I enjoyed Michael Sarah a lot in this. Entirely entertaining, absolutely brilliant. I, d- I don't think anybody wasn't great at it. But to talk about the negative, you mentioned the Mattel character, the Mattel bosses. I think it was mm. 
the bum note in the sense I don't think it really stuck the landing on that storyline where she when Barbie goes to the real world, she visits Mattel headquarters. They tried to put her back in the box. They never really fully explained why the Mattel bosses are worried about her being not in Barbie land anymore. Um, um, and then they follow her to Barbie land and do nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It was... It, it... <sighs> Will Will Ferrell was very much in a similar kind of role to what he played as the overlord Lord business Lord business yes. in Lego movie, right? It's so it, much like that. That's exactly it, and it was like, okay, this is he's, he's not sort of like um, uh, Mugatu from Zoolander, absurd, which almost would have fit in this movie. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was a little bit, the, the fact that it was all men in the, um, boardroom and the things like that. So like, okay, I get your point. And they were all kind of dumb and just doing dumb things. It's like, okay, you're kind of going a little bit Wonder Woman 84 here where it's just like, okay, you're not really... Give me a reason why You're, this is this is the joke, isn't it? And it's it's the weakest joke. And that when said, it was else is up here, that joke it, it really stood out because it just yeah. wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah, and it was entertaining to have this, like the the borderline Scooby Doo kind of chasing through the through the cubicles, which is a little bit Matrixy as well through that sequence with all Definitely of the Matrix influence there. Yeah, I, you can. It's in the, in there. I um I, overall, I just like what a treat! What a treat mm. it was to go back to the movies and mm. see this. Um, and uh, I guess spoiler alert, but in my opinion, you have a second treat away to you with the other half of Barbenheimer. Mm. I can um, believe that. Well, what a weird one-two punch that is. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm glad that both filmmakers are on board of it. Greta Gerwig is going on to do Narnia films, I think, with Netflix, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see how they adapt that, considering the very, very religious element of the books. Are they gonna keep that? Are they? Gonna, is she gonna update it? Is she gonna sort of like morph it into something more, more of just a, a generic fantasy thing? They kept that in. It was all in there in the films that came out in the uh, two thousand five, two thousand sixty. Um, the the earlier Narnia films. They didn't disguise the fact that yeah. um, that um, Aslan was Jesus, and like I mean, <clears throat> I don't know how you don't because it's kind of such an essential element of a book, but. Okay, good luck to you, Dredder. I don't know. It's a great career. I don't know about that, but um, I hope they're paying her well because yeah. she's now she's now directed the highest grossing film ever directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to go well over a billion. So Mattel's mm. going to make a lot of money. And I, you know, good luck to her. She gets to make whatever she wants after this. She's a genuine, genuine talent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Um, should we move on to Boneheads? From the sublime to the ridiculous, as usual on this show, we yep. didn't pick Coneheads, though we'll pick the, Coneheads. No one's fault but fate. Here's a weird thing, all right? So I watched this last week. Yeah. I didn't hate this. Yeah. I, 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 
I remember seeing it in the 90s. I guess I hired it on video from good old Fountain Flicks at Corio Village because, you know, remember, again, in the 90s, you just didn't have much to pick from. You kind of, okay, it's got Dan Aykroyd in it. I like Dan Aykroyd. I'll hire the video, even though I think it's based on a, a SNL skit from the 70s. Original. A really old SNL skit. We never got SNL on TV in Australia, so no idea what that is. But, you know, Wayne's World worked, so apparently this got um, greenlit based on that yeah. old that old sketch. Um, yeah. Aliens with canonical craniac crash land on Earth. That's a very humorous uh, uh, little synopsis. So family takes over at a, a farm. <laughs> a, a Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin play Beldar Conehead and Primat Conehead, respectively. They are aliens. Mm-hmm. They uh, crash land on Earth whilst uh, being surveying it as part of and the plan to take over the earth at some point in the future and are forced to basically live amongst humans as humans uh, until they can be rescued at some point later in the future. Which takes years. Uh, thereabouts. Yeah, probably more because their daughter, like she's, um, turns out Primat is pregnant at the time they yep. crash land and the daughter is a teenager by the time they are rescued. So mm-hmm. it'd be more like, you know, 15, yep. 16 years or thereabouts. They are human passing, but apart from having cone-shaped heads, hopefully you've seen the poster mm-hmm. and you have some idea of what we are talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's basically your then your standard fish out of water tail, mm-hmm. uh, with everybody conveniently overlooking the fact that they have cone-shaped heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and they we say pass off by saying we are from France, <laughs> um, <laughs> which apparently the French weren't too keen on. Uh, so. You know, if the French yeah, pisses the French off, I'm on board. Um, this film does not have a good rating. It has a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb and a 49 meta score. I didn't check Rotten Tomatoes, but what a cast! This so is have the, the late 80s, yeah. early to mid 90s His dream team of comedy, raw gold in there. Yeah. So we have Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin uh, as our main stars, who are actually really fucking good in this. But yep. Jane Curtin is probably the lesser known of the two. Um, but you probably know her face because she's been in. She was stuff. from the Sun, damn it. Uh, which I think was also written by the writers of this movie, if I'm not mistaken. But we have, of course, the Dan Aykroyd, the great Dan Aykroyd. We have Michael Richards, he of uh, Seinfeld fame. Mm-hmm. Playing a most basically playing Clint Kramer as a motel clerk. Uh, <laughs> um, Sinbad, mm-hmm. Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Michael McKean, Drew Carey, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Alexander, Joey mm-hmm. Lauren Adams, Parker Posey, Chris mm-hmm. Fallon, Julia Sweeney, Ellen DeGeneres, um, Dave Thomas, uh, most of these are, are Tom Arnold pops up in an uncredited role. Uh-huh. John Levitt's in an uncredited role. Um, most of these are, you know, sort of one spot, one scene kind of roles and they move on to the next thing. But like, they tend to add up. I guess the main ones in there who you see a lot of are Michael McKean and David Spade. Yeah. Um, uh, are our bad guys as the, the people who work for the, um, uh, the, the INS who are trying to deport uh the uh current heads because they think they're illegal immigrants or illegal aliens we'll see the running okay. gag the, the scene on the boat where he's just there go, go home we can't fix all of the world's problems anymore <laughs> it's like 
Okay. I, I feel like that one line and that one sequence was the, the, the seed that Team America was really spawned from, you know. Or, or even a scene when they are taken back to the planet, which um, Remulac, yeah. um, where they are held captive. That, and they again, Michael McKean gives them a speech about how they can't solve the galaxy's problems and there are no jobs back <laughs> in the United States. Uh, and he plays it again with a really straight bat. He mm. realizes what film he's in. Yeah, very underrated actor. Um, mm. and it's he's hilarious the whole time. Yeah, uh, Chris Farley is um, the love interest in this film of the Conehead's girlfriend, mm. who I'm going to quickly find. He played by Michelle Burke. Connie Conehead. Connie Conehead, yes. Um, and Chris Farley, what a talent he was. What a what he would have done in his career if he hadn't passed away so young. But um, he's fantastic in this in one of the more meaty roles that he didn't do with um interestingly, of course, he was famous for working with David Spade. Mm-hmm. They're both in this film, they don't share a scene. No. <laughs> um there's I feel like Jack Black needs to pay tribute to Chris Farley for the energy and the physicality that he brings to it. There's so much of, especially earlier, younger Jack Black that you kind of go, huh, all right. There's a Chris Chris Farley influence right there. And there's, there's another one and another one. <laughs> but did you know that he actually, Chris Farley was originally cast as Shrek? Shrek was written for Chris Farley. Yes, that's um, right. And so, um, you know, he would have done that before Michael. Um, so Mike Myers did it. Um, but uh, you, you do see what it could have been. You kind of see that character mm-hmm. and kind of going, what would Chris Farley have done with that? I mean, it's hard to imagine him not doing Mike Myers as the Scottish character. But um, I never thought of Jack Black as a Chris Farley uh, standard. But, you know, if they ever make a Chris Farley movie, Jack would be it. Um, maybe he's a bit too old now. Um, yeah. But the reason I mentioned the cast is uh, maybe that's why this film is so inoffensive. Um, but it's kind of everybody who does even a small part has some, you know, incredible heritage to why they're doing it. Maybe mm-hmm. they're involved in the original sketches. They're SNL alumni like, you know, uh, Farley and Spade and co. Um, uh, it's Everyone in it, Jason Alexander's in it next is the the next door neighbor with a terrible wig. Um, yeah. it, everyone in it is just doing their best work, I think. Um, and I don't know, I kind of found it mildly amusing. I found it rather amusing, and I think the reason why it works for me is because, in all for all intents and purposes, this is a sketch show, just hung together with a through line of the Coneheads. And just like the the sequence where um, Sinbad helps um, Galdar get a green card with um, Adam Sandler's character, it's like Galdar doesn't really say anything or do anything in that except repeat occasional things that Adam Sandler says to him. Adam Sandler is just in that sort of like bronxy. New Yorky style kind of sleazy underworld kind of guy and it's just funny because he's just talking and the fact that he just keeps on responding every time Geldar says something like hey Geldar great how are you doing yeah about that and he just plays it and it then the story just moves on and then just hey where are you from Brockton messages hey my mother's from there you know yeah. it's 
he it's what you want to be involved also with Joey Adam Sandler in the most, and he's in one scene. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's you can you can kind of see the fact that he was going to be a major movie star because uh you know he's so watchable even in the one scene he stands out as yeah. his talent is he's on full display i don't know maybe it's just because it's the kind of film that doesn't get made anymore it's kind of a, a mid-budget you know lowbrow low rent sort of comedy based on a, a five-minute sketch of a sketch to, and you sort of know like it's not like a traditional you know scene 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 it's just sort of almost like pictures of a life of the Coneheads, uh, but the Ciceros of, um, you know, New Jersey or whatever it is they're from. It's, um, it was fun. I don't know. I yeah. kind of done The it. other thing about this movie, let's just say it right now, it's under an hour and a half. It knows that the jokes, it knows that the premise isn't going to last longer than that. So it's like, all right, we'll get from A to B. What is the starting point is aliens crash on Earth. Okay, the middle point is they actually realize they prefer Earth. The um, the twist is they get picked up and they return back. Or well, we can't destroy the Earth because that's not funny. So we need to find another way to end it. So, okay, we know where everything is. We know the beats of the story. Let's just string everything along in between that. Boom. Nice, simple, clean. Quick. Done. It gets what it needs to do and gets out. Filmmakers today could learn something from it. I don't know what the obsession with um, uh, making oh, your films in oh. three hours is. Mm. I, for one, this is a nice uh, trip back to the 90s when this mm. kind of film was made and enjoyable. And gosh, uh, I dug it. I kind of mm. did. Even it's stupid. The visual gags and things like the scenes where um, Geldar and uh, Primat are in bed and they're just chatting and things like that, and then the camera pans back and it, their beds are upright. It's like that's that's just funny. It's, it's the side just, gags are it's it's dumb. It's not deep. There's nothing special going on, but it's actually some of the gags made me laugh. And I guess the the immigration angle. Is still relevant. They were kind of onto something there. Is something that Americans were getting definitely fussy about. Um, uh, it, it was it was a real treat, actually, in a way. Like, I'm not going to say this is the most amazing film. You have to see it. Like not like Barbie. No, um, it was never a game changer. But maybe it's worth revisiting it if you saw this in the '90s and wrote it off as a pile of shit. But um, it, it, I don't think it is actually. I think it might have been a little bit more substantial when we were giving it credit for at least. <laughs> It was a distraction for an hour and a half. I didn't hate yeah. it. Yeah, it was not a bad, for, for everything that could have come through, it was not a bad choice. Should we uh, do the uh, do the business and spin the wheel? Yes. Okay, so how far back this week are we going? Oof. 50 years. 50 years. We are going back to okay. 1973. All right. So, uh, 1973, what is American Graffiti? American. Oh, boy. Oh, I've tried watching this in the past. I've never seen it myself, but this is, of course, George Lucas's debut directorial feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be fair. I haven't done a check to see how available these films are this week the films were pretty um pretty well known uh 10 years ago i was kind of hoping 
for uh, a one to come up there because 10 years ago it was a snow piercer um but the uh the only real shitbag uh film of the uh the week this year if we'd gone back 20 years we would have been watching american wedding Ooh. i think it might be the, the uh, third american pie film is oh that 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 no that doesn't sit right with me <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're going back 50 years to an american graffiti you can buy rent it or buy it at the usual places if you're so inclined um it's about teenagers or something in the 50s a couple of high school graduates spend one final night cruising the strip with their buddies before they go off to college I think this might have been also the film that uh, gave us Han Solo and in Indiana Jones, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was it, his film. It had, um, a Harrison Ford um, performance in there. Got him in the door. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, that's what, because of course the story is that he was working as a carpenter, I think, on Star Wars because mm -hmm. George knew him from his work on American Graffiti. He asked him to read mm -hmm. with um, some of the actors, um, I think, auditioning for Luke. And mm. in the end, the best yep <laughs> at least that's the mess the myth anyway whether it's true or not who knows who knows we're actually doing pretty well on time so <laughs> let's go to binge browse binge browse um, we didn't do it last time it's back um so uh what are you seeing on the box so i've got two new seasons um to talk about and one of them is a dumb binge and that is on stan we have got the adaptation of playstation car combat game twisted metal that's one of mine as well ah. <laughs> um have you watched all of it not all of it yet uh, we are five episodes in okay okay so this is uh it follows a motor mouth outsider offer is offered a chance at a better life but only if he can successfully deliver a mysterious package across a post-apocalyptic wasteland filled with such characters such as stephanie beatrice quiet who most people um younger um will probably either know her from brooklyn 99 or she was um mariella want to say from um Encanto she did the voice of that and uh, the main character there um and we have got the body of Samoa Joe uh WWE and AEW wrestler um and the voice of Will Arnett for the iconic Sweet Tooth the Clown um we've got Thomas Hayden Church in there as Agent Stone um, and then Neve Campbell in there is a, a couple of um, cameo ep episodes. We have also got Jason Manzukas, who is a face you're going to go, oh, I recognize him from stuff. Um, it, I, I found myself addicted to this because it seems to be the tagline of this episode. It knows what it is. It's fucking dumb but it's entertaining and this is the first time that i have watched anthony mackie in something and gone i like this guy <laughs> no you're right it's, it's almost it's it's one of the better things he's done other than he was okay as falcon but yeah. i think falcon really only works when he's in it with something else like the falcon yeah. when a show to show kind of works did you ever play a video game yes 
yes, I, I, I invested quite a bit of time on this. Um, and it was, it's a shit game. It's a dumb game. It's a stupid game, but it was fun. It was entertaining. It was stupid and it looked God awful. It still does. It looks even worse now, but it was entertaining. And they somehow went, you know what? We can actually create something from this. Oh, yeah, here we go. Thanks, Travis. See, for those who are watching the live stream or watching Catching Up Later and just sharing yep. some gameplay footage here from the original Twisted Metal game, which yep. I I didn't have a PlayStation, so um, I, I didn't, never played it. Um, I never heard of it, actually, before I started reading the uh, stuff about the uh, the um, a TV show. As you can see, graphics, well, it was probably pretty decent for the time, I guess. For the time? Um, yeah. But this is actually kind of accurate to its frame rate. <laughs> uh anyway so that's that's that um exciting stuff i don't have a connection with the game at all so barely even heard of it and i remember hearing about the adaptation going some random game from the 90s is why why it's not like it's got a built-in fan base like the last of us arguably one of the biggest games in the world in the last 10 years <laughs> millions and millions of copies sold okay fallout yeah. Again, huge built-in fan base. Mm -hmm. Okay, millions of copies. People are going to watch for that. Um, Twisted Metal, Mario. <laughs> Everyone's played fucking Mario. Yeah, like, everyone said they go Twisted Metal, but like, and I thought the trailer looks stupid. Yeah, my lord, it's really entertaining. Like we yep. actually like have had to stop ourselves. The reason we haven't watched it all is because so many of our other shows are not being made at the moment because of a writer's strike. Mm -hmm. um which you know solidarity guys yep. um and not only so little about you know of our stuff is being made all the other shows are finished um or in the process of finishing so mm -hmm. what else do you do you pick up you check out the first episode of a new show on stand and it's actually ridiculously entertaining for the most <laughs> part i'm like this is no business being this entertaining no but it's um at least the first five episodes i've watched what I've enjoyed about it is rarely is it falling into the tired old tropes. You find so many television shows falling into. It happens occasionally and you're like, oh, could you not? Yeah. Um, you know, in episode five, one of the characters, dead brother, uh, appears in her imagination and talks, has a conversation with her in the car and you're like, like a force ghost and you're like, oh, that's lame. That's a really lame, tired trope. I really didn't enjoy when it did that because mm. there's not much to it. It's pretty paper thin, but it constantly seems to subvert my expectations. Like, as you said, it knows what it is. It knows what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gets to an impasse and it goes, you think I'm going right, but I'm going left. Every time it picks the right direction to go, where mm. it sort of goes, it almost seems to acknowledge, hey, this is a trope. I get what this moment is a trope. Let's go the non-trope way. Mm -hmm. Um it's incredibly violent and gruesome, which mm -hmm. I think I don't know if is, if that was true to the game or not. But um, games are pretty violent, but it was all car back car based. But um, yeah, this is car combat if done for like teenagers instead of the art community, like Mad Max was. This this is if just try and imagine if uh, Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen had just been given the script for Mad Max instead of George Miller. 
that's kind of the ballpark that you're getting. It's like, okay, this is, this is dumb. This is stupid. There's a lot of childishness to this. It somehow constantly keeps working. It's and it's like Speed Racer. The action in the cars is good, and the stuff out of the cars is good, and it keeps it going. And they they use the basic premise idea of what I said could have been used for Speed Racer if they'd done it differently, and what made Terminator, like I talked about previously. It's a journey story. It's a journey movie. He, he's, got, he's got his reason. He's got his end game. And then everything along the route. It keeps literally, literally, physically keeps the story progressing forwards. You never stay, stay too long with any one character. So you never get bored with anyone. You never get over the, overloaded. You always end up so like, oh, it's cut away from Sweet Tooth. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. It's a bit... All of the characters are kind of one note, but entertaining. And so you don't want to spend too long with them because the longer you're with them, the more you realize that they're, they are just one note. But it's okay because we jump to another one and another one and another one. And Sweet Tooth, I think, is the breakout character yeah. from this for me. I think he's only in a few episodes, correct? Um, he goes through so... so so anyway, I, I would not be surprised if they decide to make more. I don't know what happens to that character and no spoilers if there is a spoiler to be given. Um, but I, I'd like to see more of that character because mm. you're right. Samoa Joe, Will Arnett, Marriage Made in Heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I'm having fun with this series and I like being surprised and I was very surprised. I will tell you something. Episode 7 is one to look forward to. Okey yes. we uh, If I let, if I let it, Michelle would have been. I would have been all these on the weekend. But I'm like, <laughs> we're gonna get to Thursday night this week. We're gonna get to Thursday night. We're gonna be looking at each other, going, "What do you want to watch?" There's nothing we want to watch because all of our shows are finished. <laughs> if we've got a couple episodes in and they're half hours, they're in, they're out, they're gone. Yeah, lovely, lovely. What's your nomination? My first one. Well, that was gonna be Twisted Metal, but the other one, I want one I'd like to talk about is the Bear. Ah, this is now so on, this is right. Some Disney Plus in Australia, so this is season two. Ridiculously, it took a month at least after it was released in the United States on Hulu for it to land on Disney Plus. Like honestly, apparently no one watches TV, and you're all losing money. You know, if you can't deliver it to your audience globally, mm -hmm. when your audience in America gets it, oh, I'm just gonna steal it. You know, someone's stealing it. I mean, I would much rather watch it on the streaming service they pay for because it makes it feel like I'm getting value. But anyway, rant over. Um, a young chef from the fine dining world returns to Chicago to run his family's sandwich shop. In season one, we meet uh, Kami, um, played by Jeremy Allen White. He is uh, he's worked in Michelin-starred kitchens around the world. He returns to Chicago to run his uh, family's uh, beef sandwich store called Beef of Chicago. After his brother kills himself, his brother played by occasionally in flashbacks by uh, Joe Bonth Berntal. Um, and it was brilliant. The, the the playoff between Kami and his uh, sous chef, who he hires as a young sous chef played by Ayo Edabiri, Sydney Adamu, uh, is fantastic. And we <laughs> get this whole 
uh, cast of characters who work in and around the shop, including some of Kami, Kami's uh, family and you know, uh, a long-time friends. At the end of the season one, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a particular moment that kind of sets up what's going to happen in season two. So you kind of do need to watch all of season one to get to season two. Season two sees them closing down the beef sandwich shop and reopening the restaurant as a fine dining establishment. And the struggles that they go through to get that to happen, including money and developing a menu, uh, finding staff, um, and also uh, Kami sort of dealing with his family and what he's been through in the past and his history. Um, It's a slow start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, season two has been given you know wide acclaim. The first ten minutes of episode one, we're like, <sighs> I don't know what's going on here, but I don't know why it's so amazing. But you know, I want to hurry up and get there, <laughs> and it fucking does. When it gets up and starts cranking, it starts cranking out television. Like this is the when we say we've come out of a golden age of television. This is golden age of television level writing and acting. Uh, so we get to this, and this is actually a show that made me think of you um, uh, because there's most of the episodes are about half an hour nice. um, until episode uh, six, which is called Fishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one goes for over an hour. So it's double the length of an episode, any of the other episodes, which is back to your original point. You come back to it again. You own the streaming service, Disney. You can do whatever the fuck you want. There's no, you don't have to worry about commercials. Uh-huh. You do whatever you want. And so they did whatever the fuck they wanted. And season episode six, Fishes, might be the most stressful hour of television I can possibly imagine. And we're not talking like, you know, something like Die Hard or someone being held at gunpoint or an aircraft being, you know, hijacked. No uh-huh. violence, no violence, but it's just a family Christmas dinner. And I think anybody who's been through one of those knows they can be incredibly stressful emotional events. Yeah. Um, and that's what that episode's about. And it is, it took me two tries to actually watch it. The first time I watched it was after a really long day at work. And after 10 minutes, I'm like, I, I just don't have the emotional energy for this tonight. <laughs> I, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch like car crashes on dash cams on YouTube or something <laughs> instead. Um, but it's spectacular television. What I love about this season in particular is we don't just spend our time on our main two characters, Sydney and Kami, trying to get the restaurant up. There's stuff going on with them as well. But we mm. spend an entire entire episodes with other characters in the ensemble who yeah. make up the, uh, the people working at this restaurant. And we spend a half hour just on their story. Um, the, you can tell the show has some pretty high acclaim now because – there are some pretty big name actors popping up in very small parts. Mm. So episode four has uh, one of the characters, the, the pastry chef uh, is sent to train for a couple of weeks in Copenhagen at mm. one of the finest she- um, restaurants in the world. Um, and Will Poulter pops up as the main star of the yeah. episode alongside the, um, the main character. Okay. We see in, in Fishes, we have some pretty incredible faces pop up here. We have Bob Odenkirk pop up in this episode. We have uh, Academy Award winner Jamie Lee Curtis pop up as Kami's mother. 
We have uh, Gillian Jacobs, probably best known for her role in Community, pop mm. up in here as well. John Mulaney, Sarah Paulson. One episode these guys are in, um, pretty much. And that's the kind of level of talent this show is attracting now. So I'll yep. shut up now, but other than to say that if you're uh, in the – it's not hard to watch except for that one episode. It's fucking brilliant television. Brilliant mm. storytelling. Brilliant acting. Loved it. Amazing. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, my one, which will be my last one for, for today so we don't get too long in the tooth, it's a browse. And it is the final season of Jack Ryan on Prime Video. This is uh, John Krasinski, um, Wendell Pierce, Michael Kelly, Abby Cornish as your main characters um, with um, what's-his-face... Uh, God, um, Ant-Man's friend in the first two movies. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, him turning up as uh, Domingo Chavez. Um, this is a bit of a lame duck, I suppose, for it's the final season. It's trying to tie a few little things together, but honestly... Don't remember all of them. Like Abby Cornish was in season one, but she hasn't been in season two or three to my memory. Um, she's entertaining. She's good in this and she does, does her role well, but it's very much, we, we talk about the evolution earlier on today of um, female roles and how it's, if we're going to use these characters and use their sex as part of their character. They use it to do something compelling. They don't really do anything with that here for Abby's, um, uh, what is her name? Kathy. It's painfully obvious what's going to happen to her from the first meeting that she has with a character that isn't Jack Ryan's like, I'm going to call that one right now and I'm going to win myself $100. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> I got it right. Well done. You don't need my superpower to tell exactly what's going to go on there. Um, but everyone knows their role, the action. There isn't a whole lot of it, but it's okay. It's, it tries to push the envelope somewhat with um, a torture sequence of Jack, which is a little bit hard. It might be hard for... Uh, particularly sensitive people to to watch because there's sort of like electrocution and waterboarding and some of the more overtly vicious torture elements that have crept their way into to sort of like more hard-hitting action movies these days. But otherwise, it's a bit of a disappointment considering how good season one and season two delivered on a story and kept it compelling in season two i think it was had um uh yeah uh numi rapace in it and she was doing some things quite more interesting with a female in the spy world it was they they were actually utilizing that to tell a little bit of a narrative now maybe a lot of this um difficulty with kind of the character development for them is baked into the Jack Ryan stories. But that's not really an excuse anymore when you can mutate the source material to serve it and to update it. And it wouldn't have taken much to update these and just put a little bit of pepper in there. 
but they don't. It's fine. As we are not going to be having anything new for a while, you might as well watch it. The episodes are just under an hour long each episode, which is a bit long for some of them. You're kind of going, all right, um, okay. But it keeps it keeps you. It's it's a it's a very comfortable browse. Doesn't do anything overtly wrong. It's just eh, could have been better. So if you like spy stuff, that's probably yeah, love you more you jam. I like some of the some Tom Clancy top Jack, Jack Ryan films, but um, mm. this one didn't didn't appeal. Yeah. Um, I just like to quickly. Uh, I, I would. I don't know if I covered Black Mirror. If I actually talked about the new season of Black Mirror, but no. that would take me take me longer than the couple of minutes we have left. <laughs> so I'll park that and just quickly cover the first episode of the new season of Futurama, which is back again, again. I think yeah. this might be the third time it's been cancelled and rebooted. I'm back. <laughs> it is the show that cannot get killed, and I am both thankful and scared about it because every time it's like, oh, can they recapture it? Hmm. No, well, I've only watched episode one of uh, season 11. How is it they've been on TV for so long in different forms at only 11 seasons? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So there's a couple more to go. It's okay. It's not Simpsons bad. Like, if you watch a new episode of The Simpsons these days, you're like, Oh, God. For such an influential show for the first 10 seasons, mm. The Simpsons has really gone downhill. Mm. Uh, Futurama is not that bad. The impossible stream is called the episode. Fry <laughs> whisks permanent injury, permanent insanity when he attempts to binge watch every TV show ever made. Uh, it is a nice, subtle skewering of uh, streaming services, considering which is nice considering I think it's Hulu has brought it back. Hulu. Um <laughs> Um, so it's all right. It's distracting. Yeah. If you, it's not Futurama at its absolute searing satirical best, but that's, it's fine. It's, yeah. you know, it's all right. I would say, you know, you don't be too scared. Okay. It's, uh, it's not doing anything egregious to destroy its legacy. It's just Okay. Okay. All that right. would sit squarely in the browse category because I haven't been tempted at this stage to go back for another episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Rounding um, applause for Twisted Metal for coming out of nowhere and just being dumb entertainment, which sometimes that is absolutely okay for people to consume and create because it just goes, yep, this is our box. We're going to play in it and we are going to color to the, the lines and it's going to be everything that you want nice and simple it's good it's not a bad thing to you know be dumb sometimes we do it every couple of weeks yes we do so to recap the show ladies and gentlemen we talked about the chain movie of the week which was speed racer um we have picked smoking aces as our next link in the chain for that one we talked about part one of barbenheimer barbie and rousing the success that that movie is. Congratulations, 
very well earned on that one. We also talked about uh, this time so many years ago, we went back to Coneheads and next show we will be talking, going back 50 years to American Graffiti, the George Lucas directorial debut. We had a little bit of a chat about Twisted Metal. We talked a little bit about Jack Ryan and um, Futurama at the end there. Was there another one? No, the bear. The bear. Yes. The bear. Yes, thank you. Um, next week, we are smoking aces. We are doing American graffiti. I want to get a little bit more time in to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 as well. This is a video and game, yes? It is the, the new video game that is absurd. I have been in the beta for a little while, and it absolutely captures the essence of D&D. In a video game it's wonderful and of course we will be talking oppenheimer as well so a very uplifting uplifting show for next week ladies and gentlemen fun of games all the time yeah on that note thank you so much for joining us don't forget that you can follow us on twitch.tv slash frybrain productions after producers sorry um youtube.com slash frybrain productions facebook.com slash uh armchair producers at Evil Trav at the Fried Brain on the. It's no longer Twitter. It's the X. X on Fuck X. That. Yes, it, it. We we are. No, we're not verified, so therefore we are not X rated. <laughs> um, we're fun for all the family. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but uh, yes, apologies for anyone. I didn't realize that I had not pushed publish on um, the last last episode. That is now up and ready to go. This one will be up later on tonight for your consumption purposes. Until next time, thank you very much. Good night. Good night. <laughs>